Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Please note this podcast is intended to provide information and education and is not intended to provide you with a diagnosis or treatment advice. You should consult with a licensed or registered healthcare professional about your individual condition and circumstance. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in. Today is week four of Mental Health Awareness Month, and today's guest is someone who has not been so public about her experiences around mental health. So I'm genuinely honored that she chose to share with us here today. Erica Domasek is the founder and creative brain behind the DIY lifestyle brand, P.S. I Made This. I'm excited for you to listen in on this conversation and hopefully walk away with lots of tools for managing your mental health, supporting people you love, and great resources for all things DIY. Welcome, Erica. I am thrilled and nervous to be here today. (laughs) I'm not surprised to hear that. So let's start off. Tell me who you are, where you're from, and what you do. I am Erica Domasek. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I'm currently living in Los Angeles by way of New York. And what do I do? I started a company in 2009 that is called PSI Made This. And it is a company that's all about DIY and teaching people through content, branded entertainment, events, all sort of ways to empower them to be creative. I've written a couple of books about being crafty. And I also have an agency, which isn't so consumer-facing, that is called ELD Creative, where I get to work with phenomenal brands that range from the NBA to Amazon Studios, Califia Farms, Spindrift, fantastic brands, clients that are looking to tell stories in the creative marketing space. And because what I do for a living is a call to action, I get to help them tell their stories and we get to create some really epic campaigns. Love it. I've been following you on Instagram for many, many years. And this came to be because I reached out to our mutual friend, Aliza Licht, who is a past podcast guest. And I had listened to your episode on her podcast where you spoke about mental health and postpartum. And it really stood out to me and really reminded me of our most recent episode with Melissa Bernstein of Melissa and Doug as someone who had a very bright, vibrant, joyful brand, and deep down was battling a lot of darkness. And I reached out to Aliza saying, I feel like these two need to know each other and there's some sort of collaboration or something that needs to happen here. So I would love for us to start, You, as you put it, you've struggled, managed, coped, ignored, and dealt with bouts of depression and anxiety throughout your life. Do you have a first memory or an early memory of when this began? That's a great question. I don't know that I necessarily would have called it anxiety or depression, but I can say one of the ways I've coped throughout my life has been using some unhealthy 
there have been some unhealthy, you know, coping mechanisms. And when I was young and my parents were going through a divorce, I acted out, right? So do I remember how I was feeling at the time? Sure, I was probably anxious. Sure, I was probably sad. So I'm sure through that period, there was definitely anxiety and depression. But back in the early 80s, we didn't really talk about that so much. It was like, oh, that's a problem child, right? But I would say the first time that I really was aware enough to deal with my mental health was when I went to college and I did have an eating disorder and I knew there was self-harm going on in that way. And because another friend in high school had also had an eating disorder, a severe one, that I understood that treatment was uh, a plan for her and maybe that maybe that could get me back on track because I knew what I was doing wasn't healthy. And in turn, it was a cry for help, for attention, and also control. So I did get help you know, throughout my 20s to manage that. And so when you look back to that time, what do you think was most useful for you in getting you to the other side of it? Mental health, the conversation we have in 2023 is so different than the year 2001, right? Or whatever. Back then, it was being around like-minded people who understood the struggle. It was support. It was figuring out what was going to help me heal in a in a way that didn't feel too overwhelming. Um, to be honest, I haven't thought about that time in a while, but I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that I not only had a therapist during that time, I'm grateful that I actually went to something called Intensive Outpatient Program, IOP. You might have heard the term when I was really young because I needed consistency to be accountable for. And that's when I was young. And I don't really think of myself an adult. When I think back to then, you think you're an adult when you're in college and you're like, you got this. Like for me, I wasn't. I was pretty immature and I really struggled with my communication. So support back then was a huge thing for me. Some people say that certain diseases always stay with you. And later in life, going to New York, I found a new support system when I needed that too and different meetings to help me there. So no matter what you're going through in your life, recovery, help, and support might always look different. And so what has that looked like for you in recent years? Wow. You're asking me questions that I could probably speak on each topic for like seven hours. So when you heard the snippet from Elise's podcast, I did talk about, because we're talking about work and we're talking about change and all sorts of things and evolving. And when I did have my son back in 2018, I did struggle. I, w- I was diagnosed actually with pre and postpartum depression and anxiety. And it was not treated for a while. I was very grateful to find a psychiatrist through another kind of cool industry mom friend who was super just open to talking about mental health. And I think that, listen, even back in 2018, I just don't think it was as much as discussed as it is in 2023. And we're not even talking that much time. It's four, been four and a half years, right? So I met this man who said something to me and, you know, he said, the man was the psychiatrist to be clear. <laughs> and he said, I would like to give you permission to mourn the life you lost. And that line was so powerful to me and it helped me start my recovery. And 
I look back on it and I don't like using this word ever. It's a silly word because it's kind of basic, but I could say like, man, I was crazy back then. I don't like the word crazy, but it's like, I was bananas. I was like out of my mind. I remember all sorts of things. And motherhood is wild just as it is. And then somebody who does struggle with mental health and not knowing that I was going to need that extra support, um, that was challenging. That was challenging. And I also hit it. And that's something that happens to be a theme for me, hiding, hiding behind some big feelings, thoughts, and emotions, because I feel like I do have to portray this happy, exciting person who is in the, I used to say when I would meet someone randomly, like I could be at a bar at an event, a guy talking to me and they'd be like, what do you do for a living years ago? And I used to say, I'm in the business of delivering smiles. (laughs) They'd be like, oh, you're a dentist. It's just like my way of being like, and that was, that was so much a part of my identity. Not saying it isn't now, but I wanted to bring joy to people. And because that was so much of my, it's not a persona because that truly is me. And I have a big heart. Um, I did put up a front a lot of times to act like I was okay when I wasn't. I think that so many people can relate to that, especially people listening to this podcast and especially others living with mental health issues and invisible illness issues. So I wonder how PSI Made This was born and how that connects to all of this. Wow, that's a great question. I know I keep saying that because I feel like I'm just at such a different place in my life of when that started. I was living in New York. It was 2009. I was single. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. I had the best friends. We'd go out every night. I came from the fashion industry, which is like a fast – New York's fast. When I say fast, the speed, the energy, all of it, right? And when it came out, I always knew I was creative, always. I mean, I was doing prop styling in the fashion industry and I was helping bring visions to life, campaigns, editorials, and I would be building and making. And then when PSA, I made this came along, I was showing people how to make things. It was never to say, look how talented I am. It was always to say, look what you can do too. But part of that was being a champion in the space because DIY was there was no space, right? There was there was Bob Vila, there was Bow Down, Martha Stewart. And there wasn't really too much of fun, sexy, cool, young craftiness in the world. And so I was like, hey, I'm gonna be that girl. And to be that girl, it took a lot of energy because cut to I was doing the Today Show. I was working with Teen Vogue. And I say this because I truly wanted to help take that vertical and make it cut through every, like make it that horizontal that would cut through everything, right? We could talk about food. We could talk about decor, events, and how to make it personal. So I went out there. I was very public. And when I say very public, we're not talking Angelina Jolie, of course. It's all relative. But it was using social media, being at events, hosting events, um, being out there, being wanting to be exposed, wanting to talk about anything I could. And I don't mean that in a way to, it truly wasn't about my story. It was, I wanted to help people. Um, And that was a theme that's always been, that's always been how it started. Is I'm wondering when I hear that, 
all I can picture is you going back to your apartment in New York. And I'm wondering what that looked like for you. Was that I need recovery time after being out in the world? Or were you just so in it in real time? Because personally, I really relate in the sense of never had the level of fame that you've had. Oh, stop. But- there's no, it's not, there's no fame. But, okay. but, but you're, you're, <laughs> I get more, it. You're more of a public, public figure than I am. My point is, sure is that I can be out and about nonstop work, social life. And one of the things that I've discovered throughout COVID is how much I require solo time at home, leave me alone, and like really need to recover in a way that I never experienced before. That is self-care. And going back to that time, I loved it for so long, but then there became a time that I did feel a little lonely. And I did have friends that moved out of the city. Some got married, were just not around, having uh, uh, having babies and younger. And, and I started to feel kind of blah, but I didn't know what that was. And I was very lucky and fortunate that I did get to travel a lot. And I remember always feeling this itch when I came to California of happiness, but I didn't know, am I happy because I'm escaping or am I happy because I'm happy here, right? And that's something that it took a while for me to commit to. And I decided back in 2014 that I was going to go for a month to California because I was feeling, I was feeling really low in New York. I started feeling really low and lonely because sometimes the city doesn't love you back and you do want to date and be with someone. And New York is a hard place, man. And this is before all those apps were out and all that stuff. So came to LA and uh, I don't know, the rest is kind of history. I was like, okay, I think I can give this shot. I'm happy. And yeah. And, and it's been, gosh, like eight and a half years. Lots happened since then, but yeah. It was baby steps for me though. It was baby steps because I wasn't feeling fulfilled and I didn't know how to fix that. And how do you feel about LA these days? I'm a very different person <laughs> than I was when I was living in New York. I was single when I was in New York. I did not have a child when I was in New York. I did not have nearly the amount of responsibilities that I do now. And my life looks very different. So it's, I can't say it's apples to apples. It's like kumquats to starfruit, <laughs> right? I, it's, I can't, I, when people say like, what do you like better, New York or LA? I'm like, I can't compare them because I was a different, my life was different. I was different then. And I think that I was reading something that says you, every seven years you regenerate new cells in like your body and your brain. And so like your rebirth, like it's like people joke like the seven year itch, but it's really because you regenerate all of your cells regenerate. So there is a rebirth in you. And I think that's important to pay attention to the idea that we don't, we aren't the same people and we don't have to stay. We can choose to evolve. So I am still evolving. I'm actually going through a big metamorphosis now, which I think you know a little bit about. And uh, it's been a really, really interesting time in my life. I had a book that came out called P.S. We Made This. It was a kid's book at the end of last year. Working up to the release of that, I was working nonstop. 
Um, it was so intense for me because the last time I had a book, I, again, wasn't living. I was not in a relationship. I did not have a child. So I could do whatever I wanted. And I actually had a larger team then too. Things have scaled down, especially since COVID and being in LA. So I was working an unhealthy amount. And the word unhealthy was put in unhealthy in front of a lot of things. My working relationship was unhealthy with myself. I wasn't taking care of my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. And my anxiety started to bubble up. And I hadn't been that anxious in a while. And I didn't really know that. I just knew that I would say like, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I We were struggling at home with some stuff also, just like with my son and some behavioral stuff. And he's an awesome kid, but we're like, what the F are we doing? What the F is wrong? Like we're literally going crazy. And I didn't have the language then that I have now, but the truth is we were in survival mode. I was in survival mode for a very long time. And when you're in survival mode, for me, I'm only speaking from my experience. When I was in survival mode, I did not have the tools to identify what was happening, how I would be able to calm myself create a safe environment and actually make a plan of action make a plan of action to overcome these things heal and work through them because i was in survival mode i was a hot mess i was not the best version of myself nobody was going to get the best version of myself however when you turned on the drew barrymore show you would see me doing my thing but i understand now that Anxiety looks different for everybody. For me at the time, it was not responding to my friends' calls and texts, not responding to emails. I was decline. I was saying to no to things. No, I can't go out. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't. Sorry, I can't be there. Acting distant, pulling away, postponing things, not seeming excited over things, canceling last minute. Like that was my anxiety. That wasn't Erica, but that was my anxiety. I was not. I was it's not that I was wasn't prepared to talk about it. I didn't really understand it. So it continued and the book comes out and I'm go 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 and kind of like what you just said earlier. The amount of energy it takes to put that face on is kind of exhausting. It's really exhausting and when you keep doing it over and over again, whether it's on social media, whether it's with your um, whether it's with work people or your real friends, it doesn't matter who it is, your child, it can be exhausting. And when it compounds and there's so much of it happening at one time, um, it can be hard. And I, I, I broke, I broke and I went from, I, I went from going into survival mode without having the tools to kind of crashing and keeping that to myself. And there were very few people, like very few people. I'm I'm very grateful to have an amazing relationship with my mother, who I would talk to every day. And she knew I was struggling, but I still don't think she knew how much I was struggling. Um, and I think things had to get, just like a lot of things, sometimes th- things have to get worse until they can get better. So for whatever reason, they got really shitty, <laughs> like really shitty. Um, just terrible. And I don't say any of this to say, to, to feel like a victim. I don't say any of this to say, woe is me. 
in fact, I'm because I am on the other side and I'm not in survival mode anymore, I have been able to make peace with that person I was and given myself a little bit of grace and start to apologize to people I hurt then and try to explain it was never about them. It was my self-preservation to get through each day. And like I said, I can confidently say that I'm not in that place, which feels amazing. However, I'm not fine. Like I'm having a great conversation with you today. Today could be awesome. Like tomorrow could feel like the world is closing in on you. And I mean, to quote one of my dearest friends, Logan, she says like, always forward, never straight. And I love that. Yeah. It's not linear. Um, it's hard for me sometimes, even when somebody writes a text, how are you? That might sound so silly, but if somebody who has anxiety gets a text that says, how are you? One day you could write back, awesome, because you're having a great day. But that's also so open-ended, it's it's a little challenging sometimes. Which is actually interesting because I think about my friend's podcast, The Women Behind Shine Text, that was acquired by Headspace this last year. They have a podcast and they open the podcast with saying, how are you really? And I think that that is such a different question. I love that. I love that. That you genuinely want the answer. So Mm -hmm. you said the word crashing. And I'm really curious to know what that nonlinear path looked like that got you from crashing to the point where you are today, where you're able to say, I'm okay. Let's say stable, maybe. I don't know if that's a word that you connect with. But what got you there? What were the tools, the resources? What helped you along the way? And that's the reason why I did this podcast with you, other than meeting you and and discovering how lovely you are. I said, okay, I'll do your podcast because if some of these things helped me, maybe they will help someone else. And it's not groundbreaking to be clear, but I'm happy to share. I <laughs> I had a day where I was literally cl- – like cleaning up my kids puke on the floor. There was a broken TV. There was like, yeah, it was, it was the most chaotic evening. And I thought to myself, why is my life so hard right now? Why does life have to feel so heavy and hard? And there were other things going on to be clear. Um, the next day I called my psychiatrist and some people don't really know the difference of they'll like, Oh, I have a therapist and a therapist is great. A therapist is awesome. A therapist is who you go to to discuss a lot of your mental health as well, but not from a medical standpoint. A psychiatrist is able to hear what you're talking about. They're able to hear it on a deeper level and and prescribe medication should you need it. For some people, it's very faux pas and but I have no problem talking about medication. I have no problem talking about people take medication for things all the time. You know, oh, I have a headache. Okay, give me some Aleve. Why should you be embarrassed, right? I broke my arm in pain. Here you go. Take some pain pills. You can be in pain for your mental health and that's okay. Um, and there are different medications that treat differently. And because of our body, our, our chemical makeup, certain medicines don't work for the right people. So finding a psychiatrist 
that you feel comfortable with, who you can be your authentic, vulnerable self, and you just feel like you can like well, just want to like flop down and they've got you is really important. So we, you know, talked about changing some medications, and he knew that I was um, in some kind of like desperate times. And he said, "I'm going to connect you with this person, and you're going to talk to this person." And I went to this amazing other person. And I spoke to a different – at the time, she's a child psychiatrist. And she was able to help us talk about things that were happening at home. And then she's like, I'm going to give you to this other therapist. So what I was doing was building a support system, right? At the time, I'm just like, ping pong ball. Where should I go? What do I need? Okay, what what will you help me with? What can, And that sometimes you just want answers when you feel like you are in crisis mode. And you'll take anything. And to be clear, like I said, I'm I'm not in crisis mode now. So I, it's really nice to be able to think clearly and have and be intentional when you when you make certain decisions. But at that time, I wasn't really able to. So I had to trust these professionals to help me. And I also knew that with all of this going on, it felt really chaotic. And I think I was going to have to pause on work because. I didn't know how to talk about making beautiful cheese boards and sock puppets when I felt like my life was collapsing. (laughs) Now, if anyone is listening to this, I hope people are listening to this, insert whatever that is for you. Like, how can I do X if I'm feeling Y? And I will say I'm very fortunate that I was able to, because I run my own business, I was able to do that. And I know some people aren't. But I, I, I said I was going to take a – at first I called it a sabbatical. Who, who uses the word sabbatical anymore? I kind of thought it was fun. I was like, I'm on a sabbatical internally in my head. And then when I felt strong enough, I actually said I was taking a little bit of a mental health leave. And I felt proud saying that. I felt proud taking care of myself. I felt really proud just like when we started this podcast. I apologized that it was so late in the day, but you said, well, I needed to go to yoga. and it's like. That self-care. So I built a team, and these are the people who I kind of said, help me through this process. Give me tools. What I'm I'm gonna tell you what I'm feeling, and can you help me navigate that? Because I need help. And that's just been something that I've always struggled with my whole life is asking for help too, which I think of people who are like A-type, self-sufficient, go-getters, have so much energy, super positive. Like I am looked at as being like that one who's like, call Erica. She knows. She's got a person. She's the one who's like just like doing it all. And sometimes you, no pun intended, in the world of DIY, you can't do it yourself. I could not relate to that more. And I so appreciate you sharing that. And on my walk home from yoga, a friend texted me and said, like checking in on me because I've had a rough few days. And then she said, I'm also not doing so great. And I wrote back, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry, I can't be the friend you need right now. And it felt really important to say, because I want to support her, but I don't have that capacity right now. And she knows what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. And I think communication, as you said, is so important. And I'm so thrilled that you acknowledge 
the difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist, because I think it is mixed up for a lot of people and they don't really know the difference. And I think you defined it so well. And I'm thrilled that you have found these people, these resources that you are willing to try and you are willing to stick with. And I'm curious, additionally, what else self-care looks like? Not that that's not enough, obviously, but day to day. I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough. It's like, I don't think it's enough at all because that's not real life. You're, you're in a room or you're on a Zoom, right? That's not your real life. That could be, listen, you could go to a retreat for seven days and feel the best you've ever felt in your life. And then you got to come home. And what does that reentry look like for you? And how are you going to apply that to your everyday life? Whether you're single, married, partnered with a child. And it's hard. It's hard. So what do I do? I start my day. Sounds really basic. But I start every day with a coffee, hot or cold. Sometimes I'll finish it. Sometimes I will have two sips. Sometimes it stays in the microwave for about 24 hours. It doesn't matter. It's a ritual for me. It's a grounding ritual. I mean, it's been a part of my life since I would actually, New York ritual was like, walk to get your coffee, walk to get. I didn't care that I was paying the 425. It was for my mental health. Walk and get out, walk and get it. When I had a kid, I couldn't you know, walk out every day and do it. But it starts off like, as, it can be as simple as that, right? I have ADHD. That is something that I discovered later in life. Um, Self-diagnosed, but very much now not (laughs) self-medicated. But I do take medication to help with my ADHD and try to understand that I'm going to have some hiccups in the way I think, process, and live my everyday life. So having things that not only make me feel good, but also help the day flow is a part of my self-care. So schedules are really big for me because I'm a little bit chaotic and free-flowing and I actually don't have a corporate nine to five. Or what, I mean, who does these days? But I have to put things in my calendar. They're simple things. I mean, I don't even remember the actual question you asked me. I'm like, but like, it's like, what am I doing? I'm trying to walk a lot. I'm trying to go on walks a lot. I'm I'm lucky I live in California. I'm trying to walk a lot. I'm trying to find quiet time for myself um, because I do feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of chaos at home sometimes. Like, listen, I have a little kid. I don't have a huge house. Finding quiet moments for myself are really important. What does quiet look like though? I mean, are you truly sitting in silence? Are you reading? Are you watching trashy TV? It can be as simple as locking the door when I have to go to the bathroom, right? That's a sanctuary that I just need to have for myself. And and if you do live with someone, by the way, communicating that you're not shutting them out and this is for you is important. We haven't even broached that stuff because when you do struggle with depression, anxiety, ADHD, these are all invisible illnesses that affect a person. And when you're in a relationship, again, invisible. So you, it's not like you got a cast on. You don't have scars on your face, but sometimes you're hurting. And having other people, whether they live with you or not, be a part of your healing process is important. Not everyone, to be clear. That was also something I had to learn, by the way, years ago. Not everyone is going to understand what you're struggling with. And I hope 
people hear that. And I'll say it again. Not everyone is going to understand what you're struggling with, and that's okay. It's okay that they don't understand what you're struggling with. And this might be one of your closest friends, your favorite uncle, your number one teacher, your like bestie at at class. It's okay that they don't understand. And they might be this important person in your life, but maybe this isn't the person that you do talk to them about this stuff if you're not getting what you need from them. Not saying that they're a ter- terrible person, and it's really hard to figure that out in the moment for me. For every, I mean, <laughs> everything's hard for me to figure out in the moment. I'm going to be honest with that. It's always like later on, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's why I freaked the fuck out. Oh, that's what I was doing. Because sometimes we're triggered by things and it, and it takes us time to process that. And again, that's okay. Giving yourself grace that I was so like felt out of my mind. My chest was pumping. I totally overreacted. But that's your reaction. What you do after that, after you've like recognized your feelings and actually break down like why did it take you there? Like that's kind of the important part. And it might not take you a day or a week. It could literally take you a year to figure out something. I don't know. But finding a safe place when you're struggling and a safe place could mean a person. It could mean a place. Like the woods, a yoga class, like a neighbor who you're not, literally who is not one of your best friends. But I mean, sometimes talking to somebody who isn't one of your best friends is kind of one of the best things because there isn't really judgment and it's a clean slate. Finding a place, a person who might not understand, like that's okay because your job is to get okay. How did you learn that lesson that not everyone was going to understand? I would say my first lesson in that was when I was in my 20s and I was struggling with an eating disorder and I think there there was someone in my life who didn't really understand it and didn't want to talk about it and didn't get it. And at first it frustrated me. It Yeah, it got me angry and I was pissed. And I think I tried to bring it up again because I was pissed. And that, that's kind of like what I do. I'll show you. I'm going to keep talking about it. And then I just had to actually just kind of like shake it off. And I had to totally just release all of those feelings and realize that's okay that he doesn't get it. And I don't need to talk to him about that. But we have a million other things to talk about. We have a million other things. And that was hard. It was hard in the beginning, but also it was kind of like, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see? Hello, hello. Again, I was a lot younger then. And um, I had to just I just had to let go of that. And once you do, and letting go is a huge part of, huge part of anxiety. I know we've talked about mostly anxiety, which is, I would say what I struggle with the most. Bouts of depressions happen here and there. I mean, literally, I was thinking about something the other day and I said, I remember like sometime I said, I was laying in bed and I looked up and I said to, I said this, I said this to Michael and I said, Hey, do you realize I'm sleeping in the same clothes that I wore today? And he was like, no. I was like, okay, <laughs> back to Netflix. And I say that like as a joke because, I mean, to be clear, it wasn't a blouse and trousers. It was leggings and probably a t-shirt because it was kind of my way of being like waving a little flag and, hey, I'm over here. I might not be okay. And and that is something that, that is about my journey, that there have been a lot of people around me more recently who had no idea that I was struggling and I covered it up really well really well. 
And I think they assumed – I don't know what they assumed. And you know what? It's not my business what they assumed anymore. It's not my business. No, I agree with that. But I'm putting myself in their shoes and I'm curious what tools you wish that they had or if someone's listening and they have a friend, a colleague, a family member who seems to be off in some way, what would you recommend they do that, you know, everyone's different, what you want may be different from what I want, but what would have been helpful for you that maybe wasn't done? I think that having maybe one, maybe two, I don't think any more than that, one, maybe two people who are It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a partner. Someone who's so intimately, who who knows you intimately. People say my ride or die, like my BFF, my my husband, my my girlfriend, whatever, my partner. Someone who knows you intimately. If we all had in our phones, we all have emergency contacts. Like we all do, right? We when we fill out forms at the doctor, we have emergency contacts. Like we all have emergency contacts. But why don't we have a little kind of deal with certain people that are around us the most, who know us the best, who love us the most that say, hey, listen, if I start acting a little different, a lot different, if something feels off and you can't understand like what I'm saying, who I'm doing it, and it just, if something is just like not right to you and you know me, you say to this person, you know me, I'm giving you total, total autonomy. I'm, I'm allowing you to say to me with zero judgment, I'll use myself, Erica, are you okay? I feel like there's something going on and insert whatever. You're pulling back a lot. You're crying or I don't know what it is. You could just, I think, but it's a trusted person and maybe there's a code word. It's almost like a toolbox and having like your little group or person to say like, that is able to intervene and kind of say to you that I think there's something going on and I'd like to sit down and hear more about what's going on with you. Not accusing them anything, not about calling them bad names, but giving them the space to open up. And if you're like, oh, I'm just busy, I'm, you know, or like, I'm angry at this and just listening. Okay, why? What else? How can I help? How can I help? You can't help this and that. Okay, well, who can we find to help you? No one knew. Nobody knew for me. I thought about that DJ and didn't think I was going to go here who committed suicide, Twitch which was heartbreaking and devastating. I did not know him personally whatsoever, but I feel like we all felt his light through social media, the show, the dancing, that smile. And I read an article. I don't know. I've, I remember finding on the, tid, the Today Show's website or on social media, and I remember it hitting so hard because it talked about how much he gave to other people and his energy was like out there. And he was so hyper-functioning and it kind of scared me all the things they were saying about him. And I was like, wait, that's kind of like me. And I just remember that they kept describing because nobody knew. And I want to be very clear by um to say I'm not looking and did I not look to hurt myself by any means? But I think it really scared me. And I was like, wow, that kind of sounds like how much, like what I sound like. And it scared me. But just because you're scared, it doesn't mean you're going to go to someone and say, hey, can you help me? Hey, talk to your friends because it's really hard to do. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it goes back to the how are you really question. And that's really what you're saying, that having this trusted group 
having them ask those questions. And I think those are such valuable tools that really anyone can find those people that you rely on and will keep pushing and pushing. Yeah. And remember, people are important. And I would just say that you have to pay attention to who you're with when you're feeling your best. And when you're, that's a huge part of this too. Yeah, for sure. That that's a huge one. As I look up at a photo of me and my best friend, you've talked about, or you shared with me the question, do you want comfort or solutions? Mm, And I think it's really relevant to what you were just speaking about. Can you say more about how this has been helpful to you? So when you open up to someone, you're looking for something. You're either looking to vent, right? Or you're looking for someone to give you advice. Um, There's a reason why we call our best friend, our coworker. Like, There's a reason why. When you're on the receiving end, you don't know what they want, right? Because everybody has their own experience when they go through something. I just know what mine is right now. And I know I'm feeling chaotic. I'm feeling anxious. I'm super angry. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling all over the place and out of control. So I pick up my phone and I call this person. But that person, but maybe I just want to vent. And maybe that person is a person who gives solutions. And and they will say, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And sometimes you're not in a place where you can do anything. And that's sometimes, again, like I said, that we started from the beginning, certain people might not understand what you need at the time. So saying to someone, hey, I'm going to call you, or maybe being on, right now I just need to vent and that's it, to be able on on your side, letting them know what you need to do or saying like, hey, I need help with a solution. Here's what's going on. That's important. But being when you're on the receiving end and you hear someone dump all sorts of stuff on it, like hysterically crying, anxiety, this and that, or sadness. I think saying to someone, obviously like leading with some type of empathy, I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm here for you. Do you want to just vent? Do you want to keep venting? Or do you want me to help you with some solutions? And they chose to call you because clearly they feel safe with you. And it's okay to say back to them, what do you need? Do you want comfort or solutions? But but for both parties, because sometimes, and I'll say this, I love my mom more than anything. Maybe she'll be listening to this. I don't know. Hey mom, what's up? My mom is so solution oriented and that makes her what she is. And she's incredible and she is a force and she has gone through so much adversity and She's the biggest heart and the, everyone who meets her once falls in love with her because she's the best. And sometimes I'm not ready for her solutions. And when I was going through a tough time, I had to say like, hey, I just need to vent right now. And sometimes that was hard for her because she wanted just to – because she's a fixer and she wanted to do things because she loves me. And then I got to a place where I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to do the things. But you have to be there and you have to be willing and open to hear it from other people. So and it, and it goes back to what we said that – some of these people like might not be the ones that you do call for comfort or solutions, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. Cause if they really are your tribe, your people, your sister, your brother, your cousin, they'll be there for you when you come back. Self-preservation is real. And sometimes you just have to work through it before you can get back there. Wow. I agree with you so much. And I think having these different categories of people and what they can provide is such an important lesson of If you're going to call someone, they may give you the outcome that you don't want. And that may not be helpful for you in that moment. I am definitely like a fixer type person. And I think the last few years have taught me to just be a good listener and ask people what they need. And it's not easy as someone who just wants to repair everything and make sure everyone's good. And 
as someone who doesn't like unsolicited medical and health advice, I'm very cognizant about not, you know, telling people what to do or what to try. But I think that's a really, really helpful lesson. I could seriously record for hours more, Erica, but I'm going to leave us with this last question, which is what do you want people to know about invisible illness? Everyone is going through something that you might not be able to see. And it's hard to always remember that every day of your life, from when you check out at the grocery store to sitting next to someone on public transportation to calling your brother to coming home to your partner. We are all going through something. And sometimes it feels like what you're going through is the hardest thing in the whole wide world and no one can understand. And while you might feel like that's true, that's okay. But that's what you're going through and that's okay. We're all going through stuff, but it's how you grow through stuff that makes you feel stronger every day. And I think because nobody can see on the outside, especially when you're just smiling and walking down the street or happen to be at a party, I think giving yourself some grace, knowing that it's okay that you're not 100 today. So find people to help you, support you, and give yourself the grace to know that just because today was the worst day ever, tomorrow does not have to be. Amazing. Erica, I absolutely adore you. Thank you so much for your willingness to talk about this topic because my question is, how can people find you given the fact that you're taking a social break? I'll be back. I'll be, I'll be back at PSI made this. <laughs> I'll be back. And people can check out and people can check out your book. Yes. And I, everything. Totally. I have yeah, a great kids book called PS We Made This. And it is not just an arts and crafts and cookbook. The thing is, I did work with a PhD who specializes in all sorts of ways to help your kids grow and develop like all the amazing motor skills and cognitive, social, emotional things. So mental health, mental growth is a huge part of my life. And I'm just always here to share and support. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to us. Visit madevisiblestories.com to check out our writing workshops, corporate offerings, and more information that can help you in navigating life with an invisible illness. Follow Made Visible Stories on Instagram. See you next week.